All right. Well, good morning once again. Uh, my name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that, that you've come this morning to worship with us and that you're, that you're here. We're really excited uh, to begin this series. As Keith mentioned, we're starting back up in the book of Matthew. Uh, one of the things that we love to do here as a church is uh, to walk through books of the Bible, walk through big sections of Scripture, and uh, just kind of take it in order and kind of unpack it and study it and try and understand what God is trying to teach us and what He's trying to show us. And so, uh, right when I was first uh, coming on as the, the lead pastor, one of the first things that we did is a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we walked through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, unpacked that. I'd like to go back in for another go at it here sometime soon. It was so rich and, and full. And so from that time, over the past couple of years, we've gone through uh, and continued forward. We did another series called Follow, which was everything that followed that. We did a series called Wise as Serpents, Innocent as Doves that we just did last year in Matthew. And now as we continue in the book of Matthew, uh, we're up to chapter 13. And so you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we're calling it Parables and Miracles. Uh, in these two chapters, Jesus uses both of these things to explain and to show people and to teach people, to teach us about the kingdom of heaven and, and, and the kingdom of God and the gospel. And so he, he demonstrates it uh, through his actions, through miracles, and he proclaims it uh, through the parables, through the stories. And so uh, we're really excited to, to jump into this and, and kind of uh, take it apart. And so with that introduction, let's, uh, let's just pray. Let's come before the Lord and prepare this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this chance to gather in your name, uh, to gather as your people, uh, to come and seek uh, your wisdom in your word, uh, your truth. Uh, I just thank you for the way that it, it shapes and, and changes our hearts. And I pray that we would come with open hearts this morning, that we would come uh, ready to hear uh, what you would have uh, us to hear and uh, that we would respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So in Matthew chapter 13, uh, many of you will have a, a, a heading there that says the parable of the sower. Um, and uh, so we're going to dig in with that. And so let's just jump right in. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Begins, it says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And so let's just pause here for a minute, grab a little context of where we are. As I said, we've gone through several series kind of walking through the book of Matthew, and in the last series, uh, it was Jesus coming into a lot of conflict, and so he was... Uh, the, he was doing miracles, he was proclaiming hard truths about the kingdom of heaven, and great crowds were gathering about him, but yet the people were kind of confused about what he was saying. The, the crowds would gather, and then they would kind of uh, go off, and then the Pharisees would come in, and they would challenge him, and they would question him, and we're coming out of a passage where even uh, Jesus' own family came as he was teaching and, and, and proclaiming the word that they came and tried to draw him away from what he was doing, said, hey, tell Jesus to come out here, we need to see him, tell him to come out to us. And he said, hey, the, the ones that listen to me and obey me, that's my family. And so all this conflict, and so we uh, can imagine uh, for us and for, for the disciples as they were there in that time that it would have been confusing. They look at Jesus and they say, we believe he's the Messiah. We believe he's the one that was sent. And yet this doesn't look like what we thought it would look like. Yeah, there's big crowds gathering, but they don't seem to get it. They seem confused. And then there's direct opposition coming at him from our religious leaders. And, and that seems strange. And so what's, what's going on here? And so that's some of the context into which Jesus is about to speak. And so it, it shapes our understanding of why Jesus is telling this parable, right? Verse 3 picks up. He says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, 
But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus um, tells this parable, and he's not teaching them how to farm, right? He's not like, hey, I, I noticed your crops aren't very good around here, so let me explain to you how this works, right? Like, that's not, that's not where he's going with this, but he tells this parable, and so he could probably see the confused look on his disciples' faces, and so he pauses for a moment here, and he explains to them why he's teaching in parables. Um, rather than dig into that today, we're going to save that chunk for next week. And so what we're going to do is this week, we're just going to look at this parable of the sower. Then next week, we're going to come back and we're going to look at Jesus' explanation of why he's teaching and proclaiming the truths of the kingdom uh, in parables. And so hopefully that's enough of a hook to, to bring you back next week <laughs> to check on that. Um, but uh, I read in several commentaries uh, this week, and, and the one commentary pointed out, he, he said, you know, even though Jesus goes on to explain what he meant, lots of people would like to jump in with their own explanations about what this parable is all about, right? I don't want to throw my hat into that ring today. I don't, I don't want to try and explain it in a way different from what Jesus explained it. And so rather jumping into interpretation right here, let's jump down uh, to verse 18 where Jesus actually explains the parable. And then next week we'll circle back and we'll catch that, that chunk of scripture where he talks about why he was teaching that way. Verse 18 says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus comes and explains, and like Keith said this morning, even with the explanation, you're still kind of like, okay. Yeah, I got, I got it, Jesus. But yet there's still some, some levels of it where you're like, I'm sure that he's saying a lot more here than what maybe I'm seeing on, on the surface. And so our desire today is really to, to dig into it and see what we can pull out of this passage. But as I already mentioned, part of the reason that Jesus was sharing this parable was the context that he was in. He had been preaching and been teaching and been doing miracles, and yet he was experiencing opposition. Great cows were gathering, but, but their commitment level was in question. And so Jesus is speaking into this scenario. And, and what we can see, one takeaway that we can see really clearly from this is that Jesus is the sower, right? He's the one proclaiming the word, right? And so Jesus is perfect, right? He's, he's doing it perfectly, and he's proclaiming the, the, the word of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And what he's proclaiming is perfect. So it's a perfect sower, it's a perfect seed. The reason for the varied results is the soil into which it falls. And it's important to see that and recognize that because Jesus was by far uh, infinitely greater than any other preacher who's ever walked the face of the earth. And yet, as the perfect preacher came and preached the perfect message, it received a mixed response from the crowd. And so maybe you're here today and, and you you chose to step out in faith. Maybe one of your New Year's resolutions was, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit more vocal about my faith. I'm going to step out in faith in my workplace or with my family. And, and maybe you did it, and maybe they were kind of like, huh, okay, yeah, I mean, if that's what you're into. Right? <laughs> and you're like, that's not what I was hoping for. 
And so maybe you begin the self-doubt of saying like, oh, maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I didn't say the right words. Maybe, maybe I should have done it differently. Maybe it's something broken in me. Maybe that's why they didn't respond. Because if I had done it right, I know they would have done it. And, and what I want you to see here is that the perfect preacher was preaching the perfect message. And the response was still based on the soil of their hearts, right? It wasn't based on his deficiencies or, or, or the deficiencies of the message because there was none. And so uh, for us, as, as kind of a macro principle, uh, as we follow the example of Jesus, Jesus is the sower here in the parable, but we're called to follow in his footsteps. We're called to follow after him and continue to sow the good news of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom. And as we do that, we should expect, the same as he did, that we're going to get mixed results. There's going to be some that come with great joy. There's going to be some that completely reject it with a hard heart. There's going to be some that, that seem excited about it, but then fade away, right? There's going to be some that, that give lip service to agreeing to it, uh, but never show any sort of fruit that it's, that it's changed their life or made a, made a difference. And so what Jesus experienced, we should expect to experience the same thing. Ultimately, just like the seeds in the soil, the growth is in God's hands. See, farmers were in a really great position to understand this. They, would, they understood the, the, the work of, of their work, what they were doing, trying to produce a crop, and the work that only God could do. <laughs> in providing the sun and the rain and the right conditions and the right climate to grow the seed. They could put the seed in the ground. They could, they could water it artificially. They could do different things. They could try and protect it from pests. But ultimately, they understood that growth was in God's hands alone. God was the one that made it grow. And it's the same way Jesus explained this in this parable, that, that we can do things to position ourselves. We can seek to orient our life in the right way. But ultimately, whenever, someone's, whenever the seed penetrates the soil of someone's heart, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God doing that. We can't fabricate that. We can't manufacture that. Only God can do that. And so allow him to do his piece, and we do our piece, right? As we look at this, we see four distinct types of soils, right? And, and the natural question that we ask is, okay, where do I fall in that list? He, he, he seemed to list off a couple of different types of people. What type of person am I? What type of soil do I have in my heart? Where do I fall in this spectrum that Jesus is talking about. We already talked about that uh, the sower is the one who proclaims the word of God. The seed is, is the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he talks about four types of soil. The first one is the hard soil. This is one where the soil kind of hits and just bounces off. There's no interest in Jesus whatsoever. Uh, if they even receive it in their ears, it's gone before it has, a, it has an opportunity to process in their brain. I learned a little something about this. We, uh, we had a rental home in Haparo that we lived in for four years, and when we first moved in there, uh, the backyard was just a dirt patch. The people that lived there before let a bunch of dead leaves collect on it, and so they cleaned it up, but basically all that was left was a bunch of trees and dirt and some tiny little patches of weeds. And so in four years, I managed to grow a few more patches of weeds, but, but not much grass. But Early on in my, in my uh, naivete, can I use that word? That's like a weird French word, right? But I, I went into the garage and I saw there was this bag of grass seed. And I was like, well, hey, you know, I didn't buy the grass seed. It does, it's, you know, it's just going to sit here. But I don't feel like doing hard work of like going to try and till up the soil. I'm just going to take this and just kind of throw it around and see what happens, right? So I took the bag of seed and I'm throwing it around in the backyard, kind of throwing it over the place. And I, I wait a couple weeks and guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. And particularly, there were a few places where just by random chance or luck, some things sprouted up that might have been that seed or it might have been something else. Um, but especially under where like the tire swing was or, or some of the different hard patches, nothing happened. And there was no hope of anything happening because the, it, the soil was so packed down that there was no way that the seed 
was going to penetrate. And this is what Jesus is saying, that some people's hearts are like this, that it's, it's hard-packed, it's hardened, and that there's no opportunity for the gospel to penetrate. And so you might think of, of the, uh, the hardcore atheist that you know or, or the, the family member who wants nothing to do with, with church or won't set foot inside of a church door or whatever, but, but the reality is, is that all four types of these soils exist in the church as well. You can come, you can drive your car here, you can grab a donut, you can come and sit down in the seat, and when, when the worship is happening and when the, the word is being proclaimed, your mind can just go drift, right? Nobody knows what you're thinking. I know what you guys are thinking right now. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a scary thought, right? You can think about, you know, all different sorts of things. And so, so just being in a church building doesn't mean that you don't have a hardened soil in your heart. That it's, it's very possible that you can come and you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yes, the, sower, the parable of the sower, I've heard that a million times. I'm just going to check out. Let me know when it's done, right? You can come with hardened soil in your heart even into church. But there's no desire for Jesus there. The second type he talked about was this shallow, rocky soil. Uh, he talked about that there's joy at first. They, there's a, the seed comes in, they hear about the kingdom, they're excited about it. There's this outward appearance of like really getting excited of growth, but then quickly, because there's no roots, it's scorched and it burns out. And the reality is that this can exist in the church as well, right? And this is one of the things that when I, when I talk with new believers, one of the things I try and encourage them is I say, hey, your life has just changed in an awesome way, uh, and it's gotten infinitely better. But we still live in a sinful and broken world. And so just because Jesus and your eternity, because your eternity is secure with Jesus and because he has, he has adopted you as a son and daughter of the king, it doesn't mean that you're not going to face hardships and trials in this life. And so... Uh, don't be surprised when those things come. But how many of you guys know somebody like this that, that they came and, and they were excited? Man, I'm, man, I'm, yeah, I'm all excited about Jesus and, and things are great and I got a promotion at work and uh, things are just coming my way. And it's just, man, ever since I did it, the sun seems to be shining, right? Like everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, something happens, right? They lose their job or they get sick or they lose a loved one or, or something happens. And if their faith didn't have roots, you're like, ah, I guess Jesus wasn't all he's cracked up to be. I thought he was going to protect me from this. If I'm going through this, he must not be legit, right? I thought I was going to be wealthy. I thought that if I came to follow Jesus, I wouldn't have struggles. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in need or want. And so their, their heart uh, gives up. They're like, ah, I guess I was wrong. I guess I didn't understand it. And maybe they, they received a false gospel. Maybe they thought that Jesus was there to serve them. But whatever happens, they, they, they turn away from the faith. The third type that he talks about is, is thorny soil. And it's interesting because the shallow soil, uh, their belief and their growth is hindered by trials and persecution, whereas uh, in the thorny soil, their growth is hindered by good things, right? By, by prosperity, by the things of the world, the cares of the world. And so the devil doesn't care how he pulls you away. He just wants to pull you away. And so, so if he can do it through tr persecution and trial, he'll do it that way. Uh, if he can do it by putting shiny things in front of you and pulling you over here, he'll do it that way too. And so it says that, that, that this one, the seed came in and it began to grow, but then it was choked out by weeds, which represents the cares of this world, right? And so uh, once again, this person can, can be in church, right? They come, they have the best of intentions. Oh, yeah, I, I, mean, to, I mean to go on a mission trip. I mean to, I mean to connect in a small group, but I got I to gotta work extra hours because I'm going to get double and a half and uh, I'm going to get, you know, I'm building up vacation time and I'm trying to save up for this, this crazy vacation that I'm going on. And, and, and all these cares of the world come in and choke out, and there's no fruit. There's no fruit. There's a lot of good intentions, 
And there's an outward preparance. And, and, and this one, if you notice in here, the other two have rejected the faith. They come to a point where they're like, yeah, no, I guess it wasn't real. It's not legit. This one never outwardly rejects it. It just never bears any fruit. The fourth type is the good soil. It's what's described as good soil. And let me, this is the, the audience, audience, not audience, congregational response time, right? How do we know which soil is the good soil? What's the evidence that we see? It bears fruit. Thank you. So the good soil is known because it bears fruit. And this is where it's really important to point out uh, something here. This is a which came first scenario, and it's, and it's really crucial because uh, if we look at it and we say, because it's bearing fruit, that's what makes it good soil, that's not the message of the gospel. That's not the Christian faith. That's a, that's a different belief altogether. That says, what I do makes me good. If I bear good fruit, then I'm good in God's eyes. If I, if I bear good fruit and do the right things, then I'm acceptable before God. And that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. The good soil is good because it's good. Because God made it that way. Right? If, if so, the soil of someone's heart is good, it's because the Holy Spirit has come in there and broken it up and prepared it to receive the seed. And that's so important because... because uh, if, if our good fruit makes us good soil, then we're just trying and, we, and we're always saying, did I do enough good fruit? Am I good yet? Have I done enough? Have I done it? Whereas the other way is so freeing. The gospel is so freeing. The, the message of Jesus Christ is so powerful because it says, you are good soil because I've made you good soil. What's it say in Ephesians? It says, it says it's a free gift, right? Uh, it were made by grace through faith we are saved. Uh, it's a free gift of God, not by our own works, lest anyone should boast. And so we receive it by grace. What does that mean? It's unmerited. We're unworthy. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. It's just grace. It's just given as a gift through faith. What does faith mean, right? It means not just acknowledging that Jesus was the Son of God. The Bible says that the demons acknowledge that that Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, the demons are the ones that are constantly like, here comes the Son of God, right? Now, they're the only ones who get it for a long time. They get it. And so just acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God is not the same as faith. Saving faith is saying, not only do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but I believe that he came and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins and that he offers me that gift freely, that I can receive salvation freely by receiving the gift that he offers. It's free grace by putting our faith in Jesus and nothing else. That's what makes good soil. From there, a good soil can't help but to bear good fruit. That's what, that's what good soil does, right? Good soil exists to bear good fruit, and in the right time and season of harvest, it will bear good fruit. And so I know we're all thinking, like, I want to be good fruit, right? <laughs> or I want to be good soil. Am I good soil? And so the way that we figure that out is we look at and say, well, what is good fruit. How do we know what good fruit is? How do we know if something is good fruit? And so, um, really, the entire Bible paints a picture of what it means to bear good fruit. But as we, as we look at it, and we're going to look at some passages today, um, what I'd like to share with you is this, this idea that bearing good fruit involves doing God's will in God's strength for God's glory. Bearing good fruit involves doing God's will in God's strength, for God's glory. 
Right? It sounds pretty good, right? It's not in this passage, so you're saying, Ezra, where did you get that? <laughs> right? And so let's, let's take a look at a couple passages and see where, where this, this idea comes from. And so if you turn over a couple pages over to Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to look at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Jesus says this, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so what we see in this passage, a couple powerful things. One, he says, is that um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. So good fruit is connected to doing the will of the Father. What does that look like, right? Well, they list off a couple pretty good things here. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. And Jesus says that wasn't good fruit, right? So, uh, so sometimes it's tricky to tell because those things sound like great things, right? If you tell me like, oh, yeah, I, uh, yeah back home I, I went to this church that had, you know, 7,000 people going to it. Was that a good church? I don't know. <laughs> I went to the church that had 17 people going to it. Was that a good church? I don't, I don't know, right? Uh, they're, they're the, yeah, I need more evidence. I need, I need to know more. Just the sheer number of people that you bring, sheer accomplishments uh, are not necessarily good fruit. Let me show you a visual here. Uh, one of these is called a Jerusalem cherry. It's, it's extremely poisonous, and if you eat it, you could die. The other one is a, a cherry tomato. tomato. Cherry tomato. I made up a word. Okay, how many of you guys and gals think that you know which one is which? Yeah, you have a, oh, we'll do a quick pop quiz, right? Okay, so one of these is poisonous, one of these is good to eat. Uh, how many of you think that the one on the left is the poisonous one? All right, how many of you think that the one on the right is the poisonous one? All right, more of you thought the one on the left was the poisonous one, and you were actually right. <laughs> so... Whatever that gets you, right? You bore some good fruit. <laughs> My point is, you can't, you can't always tell a fruit outwardly, right? You can't look just at the exterior. But if you examined that fruit, you would be able to get to see something about it, right? You could taste it, and you would know pretty quickly, but that would not be the way that I would recommend <laughs> to find out, right? Right? But you could explore, you could, uh, you, could, you could look at it scientifically, you could find ways to determine. And, and, and so, so fruit, just on outward appearance, uh, could be good or it could be rotten. We don't know. But over time, uh, the fruit that someone bears does give an indication of whether they're doing God's will in God's strength and for God's glory. Do they need their name always credited to it? Or are they willing just to do it for the good of the kingdom and they don't care? We talk about uh, the, the Crusades, right? A horrible time in the history of the church 
uh, where they decided that, the, that it was God's will that, that a bunch of people be converted. And so at the edge of a sword, they said, you're going to convert or you're going to die, right? It's not God's will and God's way for God's glory. So we look at the fruit, but we can't always tell from the external what's going on. Planning churches, leading a Bible study, giving a large donation to the church, uh, volunteering. These are not necessarily good fruit. It comes out of our motivations. It comes out of our, our reasons. It comes out of what strength we're relying in to do it. Take a look at uh, John chapter 4. If you turn over there in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So from the, the first gospel to the last gospel. John chapter 4, looking at verse 34 to 38. Jesus has some more to say about fruit. Jesus says, My food is to do the will, there it is again, the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus here talks about doing the will of his Father, and part of the will of his Father is that others would come to know him, so others would come to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that they would come to understand the kingdom of heaven and the gospel. And that's a call that's been placed on us as well, that the good fruit is proclaiming the gospel to others. We've given you guys a tool. There's a little card on your seat. It's, a, it's just a little invite to this sermon series. It's something to shove in your pocket or your purse or, or just to keep with you and, and just to pray, God, if you have somebody that you want to come to Riverside, bring them into my path today, right? Um, and allow him to do that work through you and become involved in the good Good, good fruit of, of, of seeing others come to know Jesus. Because there's a lot of things that we can do and build and, and fabricate in this life. But the only thing we really get to take with us is our relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. And, if, and our, our relationship, especially with those, uh, as we've had an opportunity to share Jesus with them and see them come to faith, as we get to see that fruit born in their lives, we know that's something that will last forever. That's eternal fruit. Let me take you one more place in Scripture. John chapter 15. And I know this is a lot of, a lot of scripture, and, and my goal is not to spin your head and, and confuse you in scripture, but my goal is to, to just saturate the question. We're coming with this question, what is fruit? What is good fruit? And, and the way that we find out the answer to that is by looking to what the Bible has to say about it. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Are you going through a difficulty or a trial or a struggle right now? Is it because you've wandered off from the will of the Lord? Uh, you know, maybe, but, but maybe not. Maybe you're exactly where God wants you. And he's pruning you right now because he wants to prepare you to bear more fruit. So our outward circumstances, the things we're going through in our life, are not always an indication of how closely we're following Jesus and whether we're being positioned to bear fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You're clean. You're good soil because you've received me, right? you place your faith in me. You are good soil. You're already clean. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Cut a branch off an apple tree. Is it going to bear an apple this spring? 
<laughs> is it's laying there on the ground, right? And if it's not connected, it's not going to bear fruit. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear good fruit apart from Jesus. When you receive Jesus through faith, that makes you good soil. And then it becomes possible to bear good fruit. And so please don't, don't walk away today thinking, oh, okay, I just got to work harder. <laughs> I just got to try harder. I just got to up my game. I got to make another resolution. No. Abide in Christ. You can't do anything apart from him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do we abide in Jesus? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So we've got to keep his commandments to abide in his love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, because he set the example for us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, what are these commandments that help us to abide, right? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. When we do things out of love, that's when we're positioned to bear good fruit. And this is not a, a mushy, amorphous, worldly kind of love that, that doesn't anchor or root in anything. This is love that flows from the cross. This is the kind of love that would be tortured and crucified to save us. This is the kind of love that bears good fruit when it exhibits itself in our lives. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I chose you. <laughs> you didn't choose me. I chose you, and I made you good soil so that you can go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. When we abide in him, it's, 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 it's in, engulfed in love. And all the fruits of the Spirit, right? There's another passage, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, when we're doing good fruit, when we're doing God's will and God's strength for God's glory, it's, it's inhabited by all of those things. And so to conclude, I would say, I would say this. Um, first of all, I would say this, that no one should walk away today saying, oh, I guess I'm just, I'm just a hardened path. I'm just, a, I'm just hard soil. I'm just rocky soil. I'm just thorny soil. I guess that's my lot in life. I guess that's who I am, right? Uh, the, this is not a definitive label that's been placed upon you, that the Holy Spirit can break up that soil. And you might have been hardened soil your entire life, but you may be sitting here this morning for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit has grabbed your attention and you're listening to the words of Jesus and they're striking you in a way that they never have before, and he's doing the work of tilling up that hardened soil. You might, uh, you might have experienced joy and then and then gone through trials and, 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 and felt like you lost your faith and said, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore. And today he may be restoring your faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. He may be clearing those rocks 
out of your soil and giving you depth for your roots to grow down so that you can grow and become good soil, fruitful soil. You might have a bunch of thorns in your life that you, you feel entrapped by. You might be feeling trapped by your stuff and your things and your possessions and your accomplishments and, and your to-do list. And the Holy Spirit may be coming today and, and weeding and pulling out the, the thorns and the weeds and, and saying, hey, I want you to bear fruit, but you've got to get rid of some of this stuff. You've got to clear this out of your life. And we, he talks about uh, the good soil. Some bore 100-fold, some bore 60-fold, some bore 30-fold. It was all good soil, right? And so we can't look at the, the one that bore 100-fold and say, oh, that's the best soil. It's all good, but this is the best, right? Because we don't know. Because over here, there might be some really difficult soil. There might be a really rocky patch where nobody thought anything would ever grow, and yet... This plant has emerged, and, and it's born 30-fold, and that's a miracle. That's more amazing than, than anything uh, that could happen over here. So we can't, we can't judge fruit outwardly, right? We can't say, oh, you're bearing a lot of fruit. God must really love you, right? <laughs> the good soil bears the fruit that God intends for it to bear. Don't envy someone else's fruit. Bear the fruit that God has prepared you to bear, and have joy, as Jesus says. In conclusion, I'll just say this, that Jesus makes it clear that you cannot bear good fruit if you're disconnected from him. It begins with a relationship with Jesus, by grace, through faith, not of our works, not bearing good fruit. If you're bad soil and you try and bear good fruit, it's like me throwing my grass on that hardened soil. It's never going to grow, <laughs> right? It becomes good soil when the Holy Spirit does his work, by grace, through faith. Let's pray.